So as I've said, today we're thinking about Psalm 133, the blessedness of unity, a very short psalm, a very simple psalm, but actually there's a lot in it to think about. So if you want to follow it, you can find it on page 527 in the middle bits of the Bibles. We're going to think about unity. Now, let's be honest here. Who amongst you... If you had to live with your brothers or sisters, who of you could do it without fighting? That's a a big question, isn't it? Who could live with their brother or sister without fighting? Now, I've got two older brothers, and uh, we're all very different And those differences meant that when we were growing up, we quite often did argue and fight. So, uh, for instance, one of my brothers is a real chatterbox. He's like our mum was. He will chat and chat and chat. The other two of us are more like my dad. We're introverts, and uh, we like nothing better than just to be left on our own reading a book. And so sometimes there's tension there. Or one of us is a a real perfectionist and very, very tidy, very precise. The other, my other brother, is so laid back, he's almost horizontal and he's terribly, terribly untidy. So when those two had to share a room when they were younger, it led to arguments and conflict. My middle brother has a very deeply inbuilt sense of justice and fairness. I don't know whether that's common of all middle children. He takes this so far that when we were young, and one dinner we had baked beans for dinner, he actually counted all of the baked beans on all three of our plates to make sure that we all had the same number of baked beans. (laughs) Now, as we've got older, we've become more tolerant of our differences, uh, and uh, we don't argue now in the same way that uh, we perhaps used to. So it's a tricky thing, isn't it? We're called to be a community who live together in unity, and yet we are all different, and we will rub each other up the wrong way. So how do we get that balance right? How do we recognize our differences but still live in unity. Let's think what's going on in this psalm. It starts off with uh, David, who wrote it, saying how good it is when brethren live together in unity. So he is saying that unity in the community is good. And therefore, we could say the opposite, disunity, is bad. Now, David was writing this in the context of uh, extended families, uh, villages, a very sort of tightly knit community. But even so, those communities were divided. They fought over issues like who had the best, the most fertile land? Who had the nearest access to the best water? So even though those communities were perhaps more tightly knit than ours might be, they still argued over things like 
land and water. And so the psalmist David is saying that unity means to live closely with each other, but to live in harmony despite our differences. And when David said it's good for brethren to live together in unity, he was saying that it was not only right and proper, but actually it's also delightful. There's something special going on when communities can live together in unity and peace despite differences. And David gives us two very simple pictures of what this means. And the first picture comes in verse 2, when he speaks about living in unity, being like oil being poured on Aaron's head and flowing down his beard. Now, there were two aspects to this. First is that when oil was poured on someone's head, it made their face shine. It transformed their face. For that community in those days to have oil poured on the head, to have the face transformed and shining because of the oil, was a little bit like a bride paying particular attention to her makeup on her wedding day. Those of you who've had weddings in your families will know that uh, there's a lot of emphasis that goes on the bride getting her makeup right. And so this is the sort of picture that we have here, that oil pouring on Aaron's head is like a bride paying particular attention to her makeup on her wedding day. It transforms the face. And it's that sort of picture that Psalm 23 talks about when, again, David talks about uh, the Lord anointing his head with oil. It's that picture of transformation. But then the second sense in which uh, oil was used um, was at the anointing of a king or a high priest. Oil was poured on their head uh, as a mark of that person's dedication to their work. Uh, I don't know whether you've ever seen uh, any of the TV footage of um, Queen Elizabeth being crowned. I had always thought that uh, when the sovereign is crowned with oil at the coronation, it was just like a symbolic amount of oil, like we might use uh, at baptism. But I saw, I think it was The Crown uh, on Netflix, a recent drama, um, in the first series, showed Queen Elizabeth being anointed. And it wasn't just a sprinkling, it was an outpouring of oil upon her. And it's that same sort of picture. The pouring out of oil upon the head as a sign of dedication to God's work. Now, verse 2, by mentioning Aaron, makes it, clean that it's this, makes it clear that it's this religious context that David is thinking of in this psalm. And uh, you can't quite, maybe you can sort of see it a little bit in that picture, but when he talks about oil going down Aaron's beard, he's not so much thinking about the oil going down the beard itself. He's thinking more about the oil going down the side locks, uh, which you'll see Orthodox Jews even to this day wearing. And so we have this picture of an outpouring of oil. So there's a sense of generosity here. There's a sense of a a huge overflowing of oil. 
not just a measly dribble. So the picture of the goodness of a community living together in unity is a picture of abundance. It's a picture of generosity. It's a picture of love, of joy, of festivity. That's a very striking picture, isn't it? And as we think about when we come together on Sundays, that's what our gatherings should be like. We should be, and they are, we're full of joy. We have that sense of God outpouring his generosity. But that's a very precious picture of abundance, the overflowing, the outpouring of oil. But then the second picture that David gives us is this idea of the dew on Mount Hermon. To us, dew might seem insignificant. It's what we wake up to on the grass on autumn mornings as summer fades and autumn begins to kick in. We wake up to dew on our grass. We here are far more likely to complain about that sort of thing, aren't we? We, we British are never satisfied. It's either too hot or it's too wet or it's too cold. Uh, we're never satisfied. So we're more likely to complain about dew and rain than to rejoice in it. But the dew on Mount Hermon um, in the day of the psalmist, and even today, uh, is a vital source of moisture. It's crucial for the crops maturing over the summer when there is no rain. And so the presence of dew is important. The prophet Isaiah said uh, in chapter 26, 19, that dew brings new life. He said, your dew is a radiant dew, and the earth will give birth to those long dead. So we have an, a picture of life as a result of the presence of the dew. And then in Hosea chapter 15, the prophet says, I will be like dew to the Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall strike roots like the forests of Lebanon. So dew is a picture of life. It's vital to life and to crops maturing. And the dew on Mount Hermon was known to be particularly heavy. It was known to be a picture of refreshment and life. Much might like we might think of, say, an advert for Coca-Cola. The uh, advertisement people for Coca-Cola are absolutely fantastic, aren't they, at creating that sense of Coca-Cola being the thing that we really, really need on a hot day to restore us, to cool us down, to give us energy. So rather than thinking about uh, Mount Hermon, maybe you want to picture that advert for Coca-Cola that David is saying that uh, living in unity is as life-giving, as life-restoring as a Coca-Cola on a hot summer's day. It's a good picture to think of. And then in uh, the very little last bit of verse 3, David gives an explanation uh, about why these things are so precious. But he says, whilst unity is a good thing... It doesn't just happen on its own. It's something that we need to work at, especially where disagreement threatens to break in. 
But the psalmist says, where God's people live together in unity, there God pours out his blessing. And it's a blessing that is abundant, that's full of life, that's restoring. And that's what the pictures of oil on Aaron's beard and the dew on Mount Hermon are meant to show us. And yet we have a continuous circle. When God's people live together in unity, he pours out his blessing on them like oil on Aaron's beard and dew on Mount Hermon. But the people of God can't live together in unity without the blessing of God's love being at work amongst them in the first place. It's a bit like the chicken and the egg. Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? For us as a Christian community, so it is with God's people living together in unity and love. Which comes first, God's blessing on his people or his people living together in unity? We can't separate them. They go together. Uh, And so as we live together in unity, so God pours his blessings out upon us. And as he pours his blessings out upon us, so we're strengthened to live in unity. Now, Jesus took these ideas and uh, redirected them a little bit. In John 13, after he'd washed the disciples' feet, He said this to them. He said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that's why the unity that we share here at All Saints is so important even when we might have disagreements amongst us. Because the love and the unity that we have for each other, that we share, should be a witness to the community around us. People in the rest of Isleworth should look at us here and think, what's different about those people who go to All Saints? What is it about them? And that should lead them to think that maybe it's God's love at work amongst us. So that's one thing that Jesus said about unity. But then in John chapter 17, when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, the same night that he washed the disciples' feet, he went on to pray this. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me. So there we have Jesus himself praying for his people, his Christian community, that they will be one just as he is one with his father. And that that oneness, that unity, will speak to the rest of the world about who Jesus is. Now, the tragedy of uh, church life, and I'm not just speaking about our life, but looking at the church around the world, looking at the church nationally, the tragedy is 
that we fail to live that out. We think about some of the arguments that go on amongst Christians. We look at conflicts in the world between different groups of Christians. We look at some churches split over issues about whether to remove the pews or whether not to. We know that we often fail to live out that unity that Jesus has called us to, that David speaks about uh, hundreds of years before Jesus. So let's just think a moment about those things that might divide us um, as churches. It might be things that uh, we believe about Holy Communion. There's a difference between Roman Catholics and Protestants over what we believe about Holy Communion that can be really divisive. It might be differences about styles of music. Some people liking traditional music, some people liking contemporary music. It might be about uh, noise in a service, that some people see uh, the noise of children as a sign of life. Other people see the noise of children as a distraction. That might be a cause of division. There are all sorts of things which, uh, if we're not careful, can creep in and cause arguments and conflict uh, to arise. And yet this psalm reminds us that when we as God's people live in unity, God is there. And uh, Paul says this really ably in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, when he says that God's people, God's community, are to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so as we do that, as we focus not on those things which divide us, but on those things which unite us, as we live out that unity of God amongst us. So God pours out his blessing in a way which is generous and full of joy and life-giving. And as we experience that, so the world looks in and asks, what's different about those people? So as we think about those three very simple verses in that psalm, let's make it our prayer that we hear at All Saints will be characterized by living together in that unity, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, and that that unity, that love for each other, despite differences, despite sometimes disagreeing, that that will speak to the community around us.